from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Sam Woods. Today, we're bringing you a special edition of Lake Effect to look at conditions at Wisconsin Correctional Facilities. Six people have died at the Milwaukee County Jail in just over a year. A lot of the information and conversations that I have with individuals that are housed there really revolves around a a lack of access to frequent enough health care, mental health care. And we'll learn about the lockdown at Waupon Correctional Institution, which has been going on for nearly six months, despite a clear cause. In reality, they are something that can be done just to ease operations within a prison. So it's much easier to operate a prison uh, with short staffing when inmates aren't moving around. All that's coming up on Lake Effect, but first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Sam Woods. Thanks for joining us. Today's show explores the conditions at two Wisconsin penitentiaries. The Waupon County Correctional Facility has been in a lockdown state for months. We'll tell you about the conditions there later in the show. We'll start at the Milwaukee County Jail, where six people have died in just over a year. For decades, people housed at the Milwaukee County Jail have reported a lack of health care, recreation, poor food, mental health care, and long booking times. In August, 27 people at the jail protested these conditions by locking themselves in the jail's library. To learn more about what led up to the protest, I spoke with Vanessa Swales, a reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I also spoke with members of the group Milwaukee Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, which has been calling for changes at the jail. I also made multiple requests for comment from the sheriff's office, which oversees the jail, and I didn't get a response. But you hear some public statements Milwaukee County Sheriff Danita Ball has made about the conditions at the jail. A note to our listeners. This conversation includes mentions of suicide, self-harm, and abuse. On August 12th of this year, 27 people incarcerated at the Milwaukee County Jail protested conditions there by locking themselves inside the jail's library. According to a statement by the sheriff over two weeks later, these 27 people were forced out of the library less than two hours after barricading themselves inside. All 27 people involved in the protest have been charged with obstructing an officer and disorderly conduct. And this is not the first time people incarcerated at the Milwaukee County Jail have protested conditions there. But to learn more about what happened on August 12th, I talked to Vanessa Swales, reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, who covers county government, including the jail. So I think first off, we have to be clear about where we get this information. So it's publicly from statements from both the sheriff's office and a complaint that was released by the Milwaukee County DA's office or the district attorney's office. And so what we know is that on August 12th, 27 men housed in the jail in pod 6C um, entered the jail library, which is adjacent to the pod, and covered the windows with paper and refused to leave. Um, It's it was called a barricade or a, a mass refusal mm-hmm. in the statement. And so what the authorities described and what the complaint lays out is that the inmates or the individuals that are housed at the at the jail were dissatisfied with their gym time. But there is a little bit more to that, which, yeah. you know, we can kind of expand on. What they do say is that during this period of time, there were negotiations between um, these individuals, the 27 men, and the correctional officers that were posted in the jail at the time. Those negotiations were not successful. 
And following that, they evacuated all the remaining um, individuals that were in that pod out. And then the officers used pepper spray um, to spray under the door into the library. And 15 minutes later, one officer broke the library window, sprayed another round of pepper spray, and then the Correctional Emergency Response Team, which is also known as CERT, uh, entered the library and then, quote-unquote, secured the 27 men. And something that, you know, the complaint and does lay out is that one officer suffered a soft tissue injury, and then there were three others who were treated for pepper spray exposure. And they do outline this instance where one officer struck a man several times with a baton um, after it is said that he had turned to go and hit the officer. Mm-hmm. Um, However, the complaint from the DA's office did not outline any injuries suffered by the 27 men that were then ultimately charged on August 30th. So this is, you know, just for context, this is three weeks later that this information is made public. You know, usually when incidents happen at the jail, uh, the sheriff's office is pretty quick to alert the public. So when we think about... um, an in-custody death, it's usually the day of that mm-hmm. that happens. And, and, and that's, you know, protocol and policy within the jail and the sheriff's office themselves. They, you know, try to maintain that. Um, but this, for me, was actually quite curious, just as a reporter, that that information was released only after the 27 men were charged following the incident. Yeah, and we'll get into more detail in a bit about what happened after August 12th and, and what kind of uh, up to today. But I want to know more about what led up to the event, because um, as you as you alluded to, these 27 men were demonstrating concern about jail conditions. One thing that was noted was uh, reduced time in the gymnasium. But as you've written in your reporting, that this goes a little bit more than that and that this is not something that just popped up out of nowhere. Like, this is something... People have been voicing concerns about these kinds of things for a while now. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely correct, because when, when you know, I've been covering the jail now for two years and a lot of the information and conversations that I have with individuals that are housed there really revolves around a, a, a lack of access to frequent enough health care, mental health care, even you know, recreational time, which is alluded to with this when it comes to the gym access. And just generally, I mean, it extends beyond that. I mean, booking times have taken hours longer than what is policy for the jail themselves or the jail itself. And even just the food, I mean, housing overpopulation. I mean, it's it's really become this location, this place where everybody, including the the jail staff, are unsatisfied yeah. and unhappy with what is happening. As you mentioned earlier, the, the sheriff's office issued a press release uh, about the event, um, but notably only mentioned injuries sustained by the by the officers. Do we know anything about what happened to these these 27 people? So I've had conversations with individuals who are housed um, at the jail who wish to rena- remain anonymous purely out of fear of retaliation. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the things that they described to me, and there was one individual who was in pod 6C at the time when the barricade happened, mm-hmm. he said that 
a number of the 27 men who were part of this barricade did sustain injuries, including the man who was hit by the baton, allegedly lost a tooth. One man has a bloodshot eye. A lot of them have bruises. One is suffering from an injured arm and shoulder. And there is one gentleman who has a colostomy bag and said he was experiencing stomach issues following this incident. Again, according to my source, these men have been placed in segregation or restrictive housing. So they are still in general pop, Mm -hmm. um, but they are in individual cells. Yeah. Yeah, solitary confinement, I guess. Is that a is that a fair way of thinking yeah, about it? Yeah, I think solitary is a fair way to describe it. They are separate f- from the general population mm. within their, indivi- their, their pod. In 2016, four people died while in custody at the jail. This included Terrell Thomas, who died after water was shut off to his cell, and the then-contractor for healthcare services, Armour Correctional Health Services, falsified records showing they provided medical checks on Thomas. Between 2020 and 2021, four people died in custody at the jail. And now, since June 2022, in just over 15 months, an additional six people have died while in custody at the Milwaukee County Jail. This is the situation that Sheriff Danita Ball inherited when she was elected sheriff last year. Publicly, she has said issues at the jail are an issue of staffing, that her department does not offer salaries competitive with other correctional institutions across the state, and that the inmate-to-officer ratio is the second highest in the state. Because of this, she says correctional officers at the jail are forced to work overtime, and there are just simply not enough officers to staff for things like recreation time at the jail. Testifying in front of the County Board of Supervisors Committee on Judiciary, Law Enforcement, and General Services on September 11th, Following a report by her department on jail conditions, Sheriff Ball made this point known to county government. We've even been criticized because our jail is short-staffed, even though this is a nationwide problem across nearly every industry. Again, by critics who know that our correctional officers can earn more money working elsewhere. These critics also know that this board, not the sheriff's office, determines how much money our officers make. At the same meeting, Carlos Bruno, president of the Milwaukee Deputy Sheriff Association, added more context to Sheriff Ball's claim that staffing shortages at the jail makes improvement to conditions untenable. He said that while it has helped that the county has given more money for raises recently to recruit and retain staff, It just has not been enough to remain competitive with other correctional institutions in the state. You can change as many policies as you wish to try to stop in custody deaths for the possibility of not causing deaths. But what policies would do no good and who will implement those policies if we no longer have staffing in our facilities? July, you gave the raises. It increased the emergency because Racine hired. We've lost 30 people in less than three months when Racine gave those raises. Then the county decided to give those raises. So we went from 124 correction officers to now 142. We're still short 107 every single day. We also now have deputy sheriffs in the jail since September of 2021, taking away full staffing numbers again from our SWAR positions to assist the crisis in the jail of 13 deputies every single day. And on weekends, because we have shortage of staffing that increases on the weekends, mandatory an additional 15 to 20 deputies every weekend. So we basically, every week, mandatory 60 deputies out of 264 that we currently have. 
losing every off day. So we're consistently burning out our deputies who do want to stay and our correctional officers who do want to stay with the county. But how do you expect to change that and retain those individuals if you don't give us off days, if you don't give us time with our family? I reached out to Sheriff Ball multiple times for an interview about the relationship between staffing shortages and the conditions that sparked the August 12th protest, but her office did not get back to me. The Milwaukee Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, or Milwaukee Alliance for short, is an organization dedicated to community control of the police. Its members have consistently called attention to deaths at the jail in recent years, saying that jail conditions are not a function of staffing, but of the jail's culture as well as relying on law enforcement to provide basic services outside of their expertise. Alain Chavoya and Omar Flores from the Milwaukee Alliance joined me to discuss the jail's culture and their skepticism that more staffing will resolve the situation long-term. Alain begins by recounting what he saw in the footage of Breon Green's death, who died by suicide at the Milwaukee County Jail in June 2022, and why this makes him skeptical that staffing is the core issue at the Milwaukee County Jail. When I sat in the room with the uh, DA, uh, when I sat there with the family and we reviewed the footage of inside the jail of, um, of Brian, once the second CO came by, and this was 30, I believe it was 38 minutes, uh, after Brian had started already choking himself, and after that first uh, CO just simply walked by, once she sees that and at, opens up the, uh, the cell that he's in and calls for an emergency and calls for you know, the, the an emergency response, we see over a dozen uh, people like COs come out of nowhere, right? I know we can only see a certain angle in the camera, but they are there. So the talking point of the staffing issue, the talking point of this being a budgetary issue, that's a talking point we see from law enforcement all the time. The truth is that their budget has been going up and up and up for the last several years. And the county board is not doing much to... To control that. Some of them are trying, but they keep and giving them money every year. To me, that sounds like they're holding the county hostage. They're saying that we're going to keep seeing deaths inside the jail. We're going to keep seeing these deplorable conditions unless we get more money. Well, they've been getting more money every single year and conditions are getting worse. Mm -hmm. So there's not a good correlation there of greater funding, greater staffing leads to improved conditions. This is a, a deeper issue that um, that is a problem within the sheriff's office. Uh, to give another example, the sheriff's office used to oversee, right, the uh, former House of Corrections. And I believe it's the Community Reintegration Center, right, over there in Franklin. They used to oversee that. And people I knew who were in there, who were locked up in there, uh, they were always afraid of that place. Uh, they knew how horrible the conditions were in the House of Corrections when the sheriff oversaw it. Now that's no longer under their jurisdiction. They're no longer overseeing it. And we've seen a huge shift. It's not a big enough shift because we saw there was already uh, an in-custody death there this year. But there has been a big improvement in there ever since the sheriff didn't oversee it. So it's not an issue of whether or not the sheriff needs to stop overseeing the jail. It's an issue showing us that the problem is the sheriff's office. It's not their budget. It's not their staff. It's them and their failure to hold themselves accountable and to actually do their job and improve those conditions. 23-hour lockdowns a day, that's not an issue of staffing. Terrible food, that's not an issue of staffing. The abuse that the people face in there, that the inmates face in there, that's not an issue of staffing like numbers. It is an issue of their staff, perhaps, right? But it's not an issue of staffing numbers. So those types of things that we're hearing about, those are not issues of staffing or budgetary issues, right? These are issues that are embedded within that office.
I think in terms of like a culture of harm, just um, kind of going back to that point, I mean, the, the fact that the sheriff is consistently saying that if you want to see these deaths stop, you got to give us more money. I mean, it, it's just, it's nauseating to think that they view almost people's lives as like a bargaining chip and not much more than that. And to add in, in terms of the question around transparency and what we would like to see, we would really love to see what the sheriff is spending their money on. And the audits that they come back with us and, and all of that other stuff, I mean, it, it's it's not illuminating. I mean, there's, there's really nothing that it tells us. And so, I mean, if we really want to move forward with better staffing, I mean, we should at least be able to look at their budget and what they're doing with the current money that they have. And we haven't really been allowed that opportunity. What is needed to improve the situation kind of long term? I'm thinking like, you know, uh, next year, five years, 10 plus years, um, you know, kind of beyond this immediate immediate fix that's kind of dominating uh, the conversation right now. What's What are you all keeping your eye on long term? So one thing I can see... Um, that's long-term, but I think a bit more immediate than 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we see this in the report that was produced by the uh, the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office that they produced for the county board. They stated that they want money to be able to house more of their inmates who are dealing with mental health issues. So that right there shows you that they actually don't care about mental health because people with mental health issues should not be getting treated inside a county jail. The fact that we're using the county jail as sort of a baseline to treat this while we're shutting down those services at the county level, that goes to show you a big issue that I think can be rectified this year with the with the budget, right? If they allocate that fund that the sheriff wants for their office, that could be taken care of in the next year, right? Of just not giving them those funds and using that to build up those mental health resources that we need at the county level and we need within the city limits. And so that's something that can be done now and start building it up for years to come to actually provide those resources that our community needs for mental health and stop using the county jail as the uh, norm, as the standard place to treat people. How is that, you know, how, how does that make sense? It's, uh, it's an interesting irony that uh, they're constantly complaining about all that they have to do, that they have to fulfill so many of these different services of the county. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, they, oh, we have to be a health workers, we have to do all this stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, because you guys keep asking for money to do it. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, we work with the, um, with the Coalition to Save St. Francis. I'm not sure if you heard about the um, labor and delivery closure on the south side. It was like the only labor and delivery service that yep. was available there. And so we work with that coalition. And what we're hearing from St. Francis actually is that one of the last like accessible mental health facilities in Milwaukee is uh is, they're thinking it's probably going to get closed down. The staffing is so low. Everything they're seeing all the signs that it's likely going to close down. The closest like um, publicly accessible mental health facility is going to now be in West Dallas if that closes. And so again, like the, the sheriff really should not be asking for more money to do it themselves. We should really be leaving it to the professionals if they're they're so tired of having to fill so many shoes and wear so many different hats. Um, we should really be putting it in the hands of people that know what they're doing. Milwaukee County has entered budget season, with County Executive Crowley releasing his proposed budget last week. Throughout this month, the County Board of Supervisors will debate and craft its own budget, including any allocations to the Sheriff's Office for things like hiring incentives for correctional officers. For Lake Effect, I'm Sam Woods. That was Vanessa Swales, a local government reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Alun Chavoya, and Omar Flores are members of the Milwaukee Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. 
Later in the show, we'll learn about a lockdown at a Wisconsin prison that's been going on for months. They've eaten all of their meals in their cells. They've gone without regular exercise. Uh, they've been limited to one shower a week as opposed to the typical two that they usually get. And perhaps more concerningly, they've been denied timely access to medical care. But first, we'll hear from the mother of one of the people who died at the Milwaukee County Jail and her fight for justice for her daughter. That's coming up next on this special edition of Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. Listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Sam Woods. As mentioned previously, six people have died while held at the Milwaukee County Jail in the last 15 months. One of those people was Sylvia Therian, who died in custody after choking on an adult diaper. Since Therian's death, her mother, Carrie Hurdy, has worked tirelessly to get answers about her daughter's death often traveling from her home in Green Bay to Milwaukee County board meetings to observe or testify. I spoke with Carrie about her daughter and how she has been trying to get answers from the sheriff's office. A note to our listeners, this conversation does include mentions of death and self-harm. Carrie, before we discuss Sylvia's death, I I wanted to talk about her life. Can you tell me a little bit about who Sylvia was? What was she like? The kinds of things that made her smile, made her laugh— How do you remember her? Sylvia was very bright and intelligent. She loved to play a lot of games and spend time with family, watching the Packers, of course, and um, playing board games, card games, uh, Yahtzee, all that stuff. Joy just being young and full of life and being out in nature. Um, She loved One of the places she enjoyed going to was Bay Beach, where they have the Zippin' Pippin' and all the rides. And she was very smart. Um, By the time she was in kindergarten, she was already at a second grade reading level, which is very impressive for, you know, the kids. So, yeah, she, she taught me a lot of stuff about computers because she loved phones and being on technology, but... I didn't let her have a phone until she was 18, and she bought her own phone. But, you know, she just enjoyed to be goofy herself, do things. She loved to sing. Um, She would sing at the Cup of Joy once in a great while. Um, She she just enjoyed life. She liked to be a free spirit. Yeah. Sounds like she was, you know, kind of inquisitive, like always kind of wanted to see more of the world and march to the beat of her own drum. And and is that is that am I hearing that right? Yes. 
Yeah, thank you for telling me a little bit about uh, who Sylvia was uh, as a person, because uh, unfortunately, a lot of this interview is going to be about um, her her passing and and what has happened afterwards. And so, on December sixteenth, two thousand and twenty-two, her life was cut short uh, when she died while incarcerated at the Milwaukee County Jail. But I want to know, in those ten months that she was at the Milwaukee County Jail. Um, how much communication did the Milwaukee County Jail ha- or the Sheriff's Office have uh, with you about her needs, who she was, and anything during her 10 months at the Milwaukee County Jail um, or on the day of her death? Okay, so when she first went in, they never contacted me. I contacted them because Sylvia was saying that she needed her medications and stuff, so I got a hold of, you know, whoever to get her medications. Over time, while she was there, they would not contact me. It was always me contacting them. When Sylvia passed, I think it was 9 o'clock I talked to her, like 11 o'clock she had passed, but... I never heard anything until I got a phone call from a detective walker at 7 p.m. at night telling me he's at my house and he needs to talk to me. And then when I got home, he was here, but I didn't see see or hear anything. It wasn't until after he left when he made a comment while he was here saying that don't listen to the media, it's not always true what they say. And then I was like, okay. So then I checked Google and I saw there was a bunch of press releases and everything on so. And like I said, I never got to see her, nothing. Mm-hmm. So At first, I didn't even believe it because I was in so much shock. Yeah. But then when I had a medical examiner call me, that's when I knew that it was for real. And through the whole thing, they haven't been transparent. You know, yeah, I can call and ask questions, but they'll only answer certain questions because it's under investigation. First off, Carrie, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And then also this lack of communication and kind of, uh, it seems like a lack of, maybe lack of closure. But I, I want to ask, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that you were not notified of your daughter's death for hours. And afterwards, you know, it was all over the news. In the last 10 months since her death in, in last December, I want to know about your effort to try to find those answers um, and to try to get into communication either with the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office or just someone who can give some kind of like clarity or closure to to this. How have you gone about the last 10 months and, and finding those those answers? I've been trying to use the media, the newspaper, going to the county board, supervisor meetings. Um, I also went to one of the mental health task meetings because through the whole process of everything like not one person knows what the other hand is doing and yeah I never you know even when I seen Danita Ball at the supervisor meeting she never like approached me to say hey Carrie I'm sorry this happened or anything 
Apparently when I'm talking, she looks past me. I've gone to the DA's office and they're like, okay, we'll look into getting you her belongings. And I still don't have her belongings. And it's just been an ongoing of like circles and fighting to make sure that other people don't have to go through this process. Yeah, and you mentioned the County Board of Supervisors meeting, and I want to talk more about the county government's role in this. And I know you were at the last County Board of Supervisors meeting on September 21st, and, and I was watching that as well on uh, on live stream, and it's it struck me how uh, many of the supervisors seemed more concerned with uh, decorum and, and, I guess, not letting conversations about this topic get get emotional, that we should be able to debate and discuss this topic calmly in lieu of speaking kind of directly and speaking speaking minds. Curious for you, you know, sitting, sitting in, in those meetings consistently as you have been, how are you feeling about the county's handling of this, of this topic? I don't feel like they've handled it at all. I mean, we got the report. You can see the report says that there is stuff wrong. Yeah, this is the uh, report from the uh, sheriff recently about. Yep, uh, from yep. the sheriff that we finally got, but it doesn't have all the information we are asking for. Part of the thing was procedures and policies and all that, and it's not, you know, some of it's not there. And it's like they're copying and pasting, and if changes need to happen, and it's there in the report, then why are you trying to stop what needs to change? And why aren't you wanting to fix it instead of file it, which is what the meeting was about? Like, these are people's lives. These are families. People have illnesses in there and then are dying because they're not getting the correct help. And so for them to just be like, oh, it's okay, we're okay with this. It's not okay. You know, even when we have a press conference in front of the jail, they lock the prisoners down. So we have them in front of the safety building. That way the inmates don't have to suffer. As the Milwaukee County government and as uh, the sheriff's office and as the public kind of grapple with what to do about conditions at the Milwaukee County Jail, as um, people incarcerated in the Milwaukee County Jail are, are, are protesting uh, against the conditions within the jail, what would you like to see us talking about or what would you like to see going forward um, from these conversations about conditions in the jail? First of all, we would need somebody to get in there and look at the conditions of the jail. Mm-hmm. Brian Clancy said he's been trying to get in there and just look at the jail, but what they give him is a clean cell. When you go in and everything's cleaned up, it makes you look at things differently. You don't see the real picture. Just like them putting stuff out there and making you believe that it's a way and it's not, Unless we get inside the jail to see the conditions, we're really not going to know. A person has to physically go in there who is not from the sheriff's office, 
who can report as to this is what's really going on and maybe talk to be able to talk to the inmates who are incarcerated and I'm sure there's a lot of grievances sitting there that need to be gone through. It's not just the inmates, it's the COs too. Some of the COs wanna come forward about the inside of the jail, but they're scared to because of the backlash and following policies and procedures. Sylvia would be here today if they followed their policies. If they wouldn't have given her that diaper, which is not approved for that area, my daughter would still be here. But for some reason, a CEO went out of her way to grab that, to bring it back. Did Sylvia ever, you, you mentioned uh, talking to her when she was when she was in the Milwaukee County Jail. Did she ever talk about conditions within the jail from, from her perspective? Not really. She wouldn't tell me, but I, I would be like, hey, can I order you your clothes, you know, your whites? Mm-hmm. And she'd say, no, we have to wear what they provide. And she would complain about the food because I would always order her canteen and other stuff for her, you know, just so I knew that she was eating in there because there's a lot of food that you just didn't want to eat. Well, Carrie, the last question I I have for you is I want to know how you're taking care of yourself. This has been a 10 months for you, a 10 month long period for you that is, at least for me, unimaginable. But you seem to be someone who keeps putting one foot in front of the other and finds finds a way to to continue to live life and i wanted to ask you how you're how you are taking care of yourself since since sylvia's death well i can start off with um i have great faith i have a lot of faith in god um i've been sober for over seven years so it has taught me how to take care of myself i spend a lot of time with family trying to find um, peace, going through nature walks, spending time outside, just doing what I need to do that fills that void. It's hard to get out some days, but I know Sylvia wouldn't want me to just curl up a ball into a ball in my room and... You know, she bought me a mama bear necklace years ago. And so my thing is that I'm going to continue to fight for Sylvia, that things change. And I can't do that without healing myself. So every day I do a little something for myself. Carrie, I'm I'm so glad to hear that you are you are taking care of yourself and thank you so much for making some time to join me on Lake Effect today. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. I enjoy getting Sylvia's story out there because there are other children out there like Sylvia that are suffering. There are still people inside the jail that are suffering. And I I think it's time that change comes now not just for milwaukee but other jails as well too 
Carrie Hurdy is the mother of Sylvia Therian, who died last December while in custody at the Milwaukee County Jail. We want to hear from you. If you have a loved one being held at a correctional facility in Wisconsin, or if you or someone you know has been incarcerated and you'd like to share your experience, leave a comment on our Facebook page or call our Community Connection Line. That number is 414-251-8970. Next, we'll tell you about a lockdown at a Wisconsin prison that's been going on for months and the conditions the people housed there are facing. That's next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. is Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Sam Woods. The Milwaukee County Jail isn't the only one in Wisconsin where conditions are being questioned. Prisoners at the Waupon County Correctional Facility have been in lockdown for nearly six months, but the cause remains unclear. It's a maximum security penitentiary in Waupon, Wisconsin, and it's home to nearly 900 men. It's unclear why the lockdown began, and the Wisconsin Department of Corrections has, at times, denied the lockdown is happening, despite the conditions in the prison. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported last week a man known to struggle with his mental health died shortly after being transferred to the prison and kept in solitary confinement. The journal also reports that there have been other suicide attempts at the facility since the start of the lockdown. Mario Coran is a local investigations fellow with the New York Times, and he's been covering this story for Wisconsin Watch. He joins me now to talk about it, and a note to our listeners, this conversation does include mentions of suicide and self-harm. Mario, thank you so much for being here on Lake Effect. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the obvious here. What's been going on? Uh, It's been on lockdown. I know that, but as someone who's somewhat unfamiliar with the inner workings of our correctional systems, I don't know what that really means. What happens when a facility is on lockdown? Right. So at Wapun Correctional Institution, um, roughly a thousand men have been locked down, meaning that they've been locked in their cells uh, for the majority uh, of their time for the past going on six months now. So what that means is really they've eaten all of their meals in their cells. They've gone without regular exercise. Uh, They've been limited to one shower a week as opposed to the typical two that they usually get. And perhaps more concerningly, they've been denied timely access to medical care. So really, a lot of the movement that that does happen in typical operations of a prison, you know, going to recreation, going to the chow hall, those things have stopped. And really, they've just been confined in these eight by 10 cells where they reside. A lot of what you're talking about really seems to deal with, to some extent, health and safety. People go outside for exercise and for fresh air because it 
keeps them safe, mentally uh, healthy. How have conditions changed for prisoners as a result of this lockdown? What are you hearing from them? As soon as I reached out, there was an advocate, I was uh, an inmate advocate that I was in, in touch with, and she included uh, my name and contact information in a newsletter she sent out to inmates. And as soon as that went out, dozens and dozens of prisoners contacted me. And these these emails that they were sending me really had uh, tones of desperation. They really describe pretty harrowing conditions inside. Um, talking about filthy conditions such as blood or things that have been left on the wall that have not been cleaned, uh, mold on the wall, and really this lack of anything outside of their cell to keep them occupied. Um, even visits with family members have stopped. There are no virtual visits, which there had been before. So these men really talk about uh, extreme isolation, extreme boredom, extreme mental health needs. And that was probably among the most concerning um, allegations that they report, just people seeking medical attention over and over again, and in their words, just simply being ignored. Um, so there's likely reasons for that. Uh, but just hearing that from an outside observer, all of that paints a very concerning picture about the conditions inside. What's maybe craziest about this situation, which is a kind of high bar, is the fact that it seems pretty unclear how we even got to this point. You reached out to the Department of Corrections, and their explanation seemed a bit vague. What did they have to say? Yes, the Department of Corrections has been uh, pretty vague, very broad in the reasons that they've given for this lockdown. Paraphrasing a bit, but essentially they, they attribute the lockdown to assaultive behavior. They attribute it to disruptive behavior and, and threats of violence. So we have, uh, even after months of reporting, just very limited understanding of the exact uh, incidents that led to this lockdown. And I should probably state for the record that the Department of Corrections is maintaining that this is not a lockdown, that this is something called modified movement. And, you know, advocates have called that something of a euphemism. But in their definition, in the Department of Corrections definition, modified movement means that not all movement has ceased. Movement has been restricted, but some uh, some prisoners are let out occasionally. And so that's the the definition of, of that they're working under. So kind of lockdown light. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it. And I mean, just to note this, uh, you know, I've talked with a number of experts for this story and the conditions that these men are living under really does fit with what experts typically agree is is, is a lockdown. And also staff within the prison itself has used the term lockdown. Um, I was able to get some documents from a prisoner who said he was denied uh, medical care, that he was not able to see, and that he had pain and blurry vision and submitted a rest, uh, request to be seen by a doctor. And uh, he sent the documentation that he received from that request, and it said, we're not doing optical visits during the lockdown. So, you know, to, to say that it, it doesn't fit with the, the term lockdown is perhaps a bit of a stretch. Experts seem to point to another potential issue here uh, that may have caused this. It's also pretty frightening. Uh, staffing shortages, not prisoner behavior, may have been uh, the cause of these dire conditions. Why have experts pointed to that as the potential cause here? Yeah. Because the reasons given for the lockdown have been so vague, 
I set out to find and, and speak with as many people who are familiar with the prison as possible, um, including former wardens, people who serve on a community relations board for Wupan prison, um, the mayor of Wupan, you know, all of them spoke about these contributing factors and specifically the, the dire staffing shortage. Now, staffing shortages are something that is imp impacting the state of Wisconsin across agencies, but it seems to be most acute uh, within the Department of Corrections. And within that, it is most acute at uh, Wapan Prison. So 53% of the positions for correctional officers and sergeants at Wapan are going unfilled. So when you have that limited of staff resources and you have any sort of threat that you perceive in terms of disruptive or assaultive behavior, then perhaps the move to lockdown is made quicker as a sort of preventative measure. Wisconsin is not actually alone in using lockdowns as a way of mitigating the effects of staffing shortages. Uh, there have been a number of other prisons throughout the U.S. also experiencing staffing shortages that are using lockdowns. But that doesn't seem to make these actions more legitimate or, or moral or appropriate. It, it's hard to say. This might be a weird question, but is this legal? Because this feels illegal. That is a that is a great point, and it's something that that you know I had to consider throughout this reporting. So just to keep it focused on Wisconsin, state law does give wardens as the as the sort of head of these institutions pretty wide latitude, you know, in terms of when they can call a lockdown and the conditions that must be met under lockdown. They can essentially call a lockdown whenever they see fit. State law says that they should notify the head of the Department of Corrections. Um, but they don't really have too much limitation in terms of when they can call it under the law. Now, looking at other states, I spoke with a, with a woman named Tammy Gregg, who's a deputy director of ACLU's National Prison Project. And, you know, what, what Tammy had to say was that this is, and she used the word frightening, that this is very concerning, that this is frightening, that there's such limited oversight over the lockdown process. There's such limited understanding for how long they're lasting as you mentioned, this is something that's happened in other states. You know, what often happens, um, according to Ms. Gregg, is that these are sometimes done under the pretext of, a, of assaultive or violent behavior. But in reality, they are something that can be done just to ease operations within a prison. So it's much easier to operate a prison uh, with short staffing when inmates aren't moving around. There's just fewer to supervise, fewer to escort around. So this is something that became very common and widespread uh, during the, the height of COVID. The lockdowns are something that uh, wardens sort of got a taste of. And, and in her mind, it, we really haven't gone back, that these lockdowns have continued despite uh, the risk of COVID transmissions sort of subsiding. Doing this for months at a time uh, does seem like torture, and I, I think we see that borne out in the response that is is happening from prisoners who uh, have at least said that they are both having suicidal ideation and even attempting suicide. Yeah, that was a pretty those are pretty concerning pieces of information that and many have come to me. Many inmates have have said that they've either already cut themselves or threatened suicide, sometimes to simply get medical attention you know, get the attention of nurses, sometimes just because they, they're driven by desperation and, and, and depression. 
In terms of cruel and unusual punishment, there is uh, one attorney named Lonnie Story who has taken cases out of Florida and Wisconsin, who has agreed to represent uh, inmates at Wapan Prison currently um, in a class action lawsuit, essentially arguing this very thing that this, these are, this amounts to cruel and unusual punishment. And so he, he plans to file that class action suit in, in the coming days. And um, it's something that he's going to litigate and, and argue in the court of law. And that gets to another question I had reading this report, especially today, a little while after it was published. Uh, Secretary Carr was questioned about the conditions at Wapan, but it remains unclear to me if anything has really changed since your report was published. Yeah, I've been following, uh, I've continued to follow news on this since the story was published, and I think that's accurate. It, it appears that very little has changed, at least on the surface. Um you know, we're going on six months now, the lockdown continues. And just to note, there's also a, a lockdown or in Department of Corrections words, uh, modified movement happening at Green Bay Prison, which is another maximum security prison, one of the, another of the state's oldest. Um, so yes, these conditions continue. I don't know to the extent that uh, the story provoked any sort of urgency. I will say that uh, I'm still in communication with inmates at Wapan and Green Bay. And at Wapan, um, men say that conditions have lightened somewhat. Just in the past week or two, um, they've begun getting a hot meal for lunch, which is something that they previously haven't gotten, um, that they've gotten a little bit more uh, recreation time out of the cell. Now, I will also note that even though these conditions have lightened up, they're still not what is outlined in state law. They're still not getting, you know, regular time out of the cell. Four hours of recreation time is what is called for in state law outside the cell each week. Two showers aren't always happening. And so even though there's been some, some relief, for the most part, these conditions do continue. Well, we will see what the future holds. Mario, thank you so much for joining us here on Lake Effect. Thank you for having me. Mario Coran is a local investigations fellow with the New York Times. And that's Lake Effect for today. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm Sam Woods. And I'm Joy Powers. If you missed any of today's conversations, you can find them at wuwm.com. You can also find Lake Effect as a podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, a Latin dance instructor provides lessons on how to match moves with music. That's tomorrow at noon on Lake Effect. Thank you so much for joining us today for this special edition of the show on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. 